Good evening, church. Welcome to tonight's Bible study. Um, thank you all for your contribution. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight as we come before your holy word. We pray that your word will minister to us in clarity and in simplicity of speech. Yes, in the fullness and in the power of your spirit. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who will lead us into all truth. Um, I avail my mind. I avail my thoughts. I avail my speech. Uh, Holy Spirit, use it. Speak through me. Inspire me. Guide me to articulate your word accurately. Thank you that this teaching will be devoid of error and it will be rightly divided, that it will edify your people. And most importantly, the word will begin to bear forth fruit and it will be an evidence for all eyes of the world to see. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, last week, we continued with our current series that we are doing, Understanding the Kingdom of God from Parables. I believe we've covered uh, so many, so much ground, especially on what a parable is, um, the purpose of parables. So we've looked at two parables so far. Um, we've looked at, um, what was the first one? The first one was new wine, new skin. New wine, new skin. New, new wine, new wine skins. I'm sorry. The wine and the wine skin. So we looked at that new cloth plus new wineskin. That was the first one we looked at. The second one that we looked at was the builder. I believe we, we spent more time on it last week. Uh, today is the third parable, or lesson three in our study. And we want to look at the lamp under a basket. The lamp under a basket. So last week when we talked about the builder, um, we we looked at it from Matthew 7, 24 to 27, and Luke chapter 6, verse 46 to 49. Um, Jesus, through this parable, was warning his audience to live an authentic spiritual lifestyle by building the house of their lives, founded on the rock of God's word. So uh, we don't want to be hypocrites professing Christ. Uh, yet we don't have fruits because we are built on sand. Uh, we have to come to a place where our fruits will correspond with our confession. That's very important. You know, we, we, we shouldn't see Christianity as motion, playing the motion. It, it doesn't even become a blessing. Any, but people who have normally backslidden in the faith is because they are not knee-deep in the faith. That's one. And if you are not going to be gangho about this, then it's better you 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 just drop out. You you will drop out. And uh, the Lord desires that when we come to him, we stay, uh, we grow, we become fruitful, uh, we bear fruits worthy of the new man created in Christ. But it's also going to take uh, some amount of effort on your part and dedication and, and making time. You know, Jesus talking about this, he had a picture in sight and that was the picture of the Jewish leaders who were the Pharisees, the scribes and the Sadducees. Um, they, they, they were just interested in having a form but they were not interested in living out their confession. There are people say we are believers. We believe in Moses. We believe in the law. Yeah, they don't practice the law. They were not doing that. And Jesus reiterated Isaiah's words. Uh, These people worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far away. And as Christians, when we come to a place where our service only ends up in lip service, we are building our house or we are building our lives on sand. And that will not be a blessing. We talked about how to let the word of God take root in our hearts. And we gave seven steps. A few of them are as follows. You have to have a Bible. Uh, have a Bible. 
this 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 um, era we live in, um, I believe that one of the most available resources is the Bible. You can have the Bible either by hardware or software. However, have a Bible. Most importantly, read it. So just enough to just have a Bible, download it, but most importantly, open it and read it. Uh, we talk about half time for Bible study. The average believer is conditioned to think that it's pastors that are supposed to study the Bible. Believers are supposed to study the Bible. It's basic, very basic. Every believer has to learn how to preach. Every believer has to learn how to teach. Basic. Why do you have to learn how to teach? To disciple people. You disciple people or orientate people who have come into the faith anew by teaching them. That means you have to be very patient, take time to answer their questions and, and, and concerns and that will happen when you study. It's not just going to happen because the Holy Spirit is going to drop a word in your spirit. That will happen by studying. That's every believer's job. It's not just a pastor's job. The average believer is conditioned to think that, oh, I'm, I'm not a pastor. You have to study the Bible. Make time at least once a week. Just to study the Bible. I mean, because studying the Bible is very exhaustive. Studying the Bible is very time-consuming. And sometimes, personally, I will not advise that the morning that you are going to work, that's when you study the Bible. You, you will not get much out of it because you need to really take your time uh, to dig deep into the Bible. And there are many resources that will help us to do that. And sometimes the average believer also feels nervous doing it. Because it can it can be a lot, right? But there are many resources available that can teach you how to do that. So please have time for Bible study. And one of the most important things I say is that believe God to put into practice what you read. That's more important. So there's no point in studying on patience. You study patience and don't put it into practice. There's no point studying given. You know, today I'm going to study on giving. I, but do you plan on giving? That's the thing. There's a believe God to put into practice what you read. I, I gave a scripture last week, but I never read it. I promised to read it. So let me just read it before we, we move into today's parable. James chapter 1. Verse 21. To 25. Therefore, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So, believers, we have to have a posture of reception when it comes to the word. Have a posture of reception. And the word is able to save our soul. If we do anything that will save our soul, it's the word of God. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So that's what happened. Jesus talked about two types of builders. One is living in deception. He's living in deception, professing lip service, but he doesn't have any corresponding fruits to back his confession. You are living in deception. And you are building your house on the sand. And it's just a matter of time it will be evident because the Bible lets us know that the storms, the winds, the street, everything will blow. And when it blows, will it be able to stand the test of time? Amen. For well, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. So that's the analogy. We hear the word and we don't do it. We are just like we, we just looked at the mirror and we forgot what manner of appearance we had. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty. So the Bible is also known as the perfect law of liberty. In Christ we live, we move, and we have our being. 
The, the Bible is not meant to be a book of bondage. Did you hear me? The Bible is not meant to be a book of bondage. It's called the perfect law of liberty. There are some people who are afraid of reading the Bible because they think the Bible will put you in bondage. The Bible has had a bad rap. They're afraid. The Bible is known as the perfect law of liberty. It's perfect. And it liberates. It brings liberation. It brings freedom. When you think of the word liberty, another word I want you to think of is freedom. The word brings freedom, not bondage. So if you tell me that you are truly a Christian, let me see how liberated you are. Apostle Paul said it in Galatians 5, Stand fast in the liberty wherein Christ has set you free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. When, when you read the word of God, you come to a place of liberty. And that's one of the things Jesus did. When he read the scripture in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, he was reading Isaiah 61. One of the uh, manifold purposes of Christ is that he came to proclaim liberty to the captives. If you want liberty, the word, amen, and continues in it, and it's not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this one, this one, this one, this one, this one, this one, not everybody, this one, the one who continues in the work, What's the work? The work of reading, hearing, and doing the word. The Bible lets us know this one will be blessed in what he does. So when you read the Bible, believe God to put into practice what you read or what you've read. Amen. So... Together, other four. I just gave you three steps out of seven. I'll refer you to last week's message. Amen. So I, I believe it's going to be on the podcast sometime soon. Uh, so you'll be able to listen. Let's move on to tonight's parable, which will, which, like I said, which will be our third parable. We are looking at the lamp under the basket. The lamp under the basket. There are four references in the scripture for that. But tonight, I just want us to focus on one. Uh, I, 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 as, as my plan, I'm like, it would be too much, especially because it has a lot of contrasting views and we have to really take our time to really assimilate it properly. So uh, for the purpose of clarity, I just want to deal with one tonight in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16. So... The lamp under a basket is in Matthew 5, verse 14 to 16, Mark 4, verse 21 to 25, Luke 8, verse 16 to 18, and Luke chapter 11, verse 33 to 36. I'll repeat again. Matthew 5, verse 14 to 16, Mark 4, verse 21 to 25, Luke 8, verse 16 to 18, and Luke chapter 11, verse 33 to 36. So we are going to be looking at these different stories. Amen. Um, in fact, most Bible commentators have come to a consensus that Jesus gave 46 parables. So when, when, when you look at almost every commentary, Every commentator lists 46. So safe to say there are 46 commentary, 46 parables in the Bible. But one of the things to that is a common thread is that they believe that Jesus talked about the parable of the lamp twice. So they believe that the second time he talked about the lamp again was in Mark chapter 4. So Mark chapter 4 and Mark chapter 5 are not necessarily the same. Many believe that that is the second time. So we'll have to look at the two instances where Jesus talked about 
the parable of the lamp. Amen. So let's go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16. And then uh, next two weeks, we will look at the next three references. So we'll look at Mark's account and then the two references in Luke. By next two weeks, because please try and remember, next week we'll be fasting and praying throughout. We'll be in the midst of our, which starts on Saturday. Amen. So try and remember that. All right. I'm reading this in NIV. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen. Um, there are two ways to read a parable, a wrong way and a right way. When you read a parable, please look at Jesus' meaning of the parable. Every parable that Jesus gave, he gave meaning to the parable. Don't put a spin on the parable by giving your meaning or quote-unquote your revelation. It doesn't stand. Why do I say it doesn't stand? Second Peter 1. No scripture is of private interpretation. I believe if Peter was a theologian like Paul, he would have said exegesis. No, no scripture is of private interpretation. You don't read your meaning into a parable. When you read a parable, always look at Jesus' commentary. All right, because that's 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 a wrong way to get the parable wrong, and you get the whole message fuzzy. Now, anytime you read a parable, and I've explained, a parable is a story or an illustration, or in some cases, a parable is a proverb that um, the speaker will use as an illustration to drive home a spiritual truth. So, whenever you read any of such instances. And parables are just found in the Gospels, excuse me, but especially Matthew to Luke. Whenever you read a parable, always ask yourself, what message is Jesus conveying through the parable? That should be more important than your spin that you put on the parable. That, that should be more important. Always, You've read the parable. What is Jesus saying? That is what should matter to you. Look at what Jesus is saying. Look at what Jesus is saying. And what Jesus is saying, that's what we will take. Not your spin. Amen. So, what was Jesus conveying through this parable? Verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So this whole parable that Jesus gave is about Christians align their good deeds to let men know of God our Father. I understand me. That's the point of the whole parable. So, a lamp under a basket is a misnomer. A lamp can't be under a basket. If a lamp is under a basket, you've just made the use of the lamp unprofitable if I should say. Because a lamp has to be set at a vantage point where it will begin to express its purpose. It brings clarity. It brings brightness. 
and the like. Jesus is also saying that when we call ourselves Christians, one of the things that will make us bring a certain level of glory, a certain level of notoriety to the unbelievers that will make us have influence are good deeds or good works. So Jesus is talking, in this parable, Jesus is talking about the Christian and good works. The Christian and good works. Amen. Now, it is very important to note that good works without Christ can have some influence, okay? But they will not qualify as bringing glory to the Father. So when we are talking about good works, good deeds, we have to qualify the good deeds. Are you understanding me? We have to qualify. What type of good deeds is Jesus referring to? Because we can think about so many things that are good deeds, but the good deeds have to be qualified. You know the funny thing? A deed, which is a work, has already been qualified with good. But good deeds have to be qualified again. You understand me? For example, when I say work, general, I can qualify it by using good or bad. So it's already qualified. It's good works. But even after you have qualified it, you have to qualify it again. There are, there are, there are different kinds of good works. And for you to understand this scripture, go with me to Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. This is one of the powerful scriptures that Isaiah wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I'm reading this in CEV, Contemporary English Version. We are unfit to worship you. Each of our good deeds is merely a filthy rag. We draw up like leaves. Our sins are storm winds sweeping us away. Let me emphasize what I want to say here. Each of our good deeds is merely a filthy rag. We dry up like leaves. Our sins are storm winds sweeping us away. Now, didn't we just read Matthew 5, verse 14 to 16? And then the Lord says that, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. But when we read Isaiah 2, Isaiah 2 is saying that each of our good deeds is a filthy rag. So our good deeds have to be qualified. What makes our good deeds good is that it has to be in Christ. Every man on the surface of the earth is at least capable of doing a good deed. At least. Every, every man. I remember many years ago, Saddam Hussein's daughter was interviewed. And you know, when I was listening to the interview, it was quite fascinating. To the West, Saddam Hussein is seen as a monster, a tyrant, a dictator, what have you. So, when the interview was wrapping up, the interviewer asked, what are your closing remarks? What do you want to say about this man? You know, I find it funny that during the interview, the interviewer never referred to Saddam Hussein to his daughter as your father. Yeah, well, this man, this man, uh, this man, Saddam Hussein, who, you know, that, like, I find it funny. So the daughter said this to the Western world, my dad may have been a tyrant. To some of you, he might be a terrorist. But to me, it was simply that. <laughs> I was just amazed. Because 
when she did the interview, she also talked about an aspect of Saddam Hussein that all of us may not know. He was a dad. He was affectionate. He was good. So what I'm trying to say is that even people who are wicked in the vein of a Saddam Hussein or you know whatever wicked man you might want to mention, they are at least capable of doing a good deed. At least. But that is not what qualifies as giving glory to God our Father. It doesn't qualify. So when Jesus is talking about our good works, Jesus is talking about our good works in Christ. He's talking about us being born again. Our good works, they don't qualify to get us to heaven. It is our good works in Christ that will bring glory to God the Father. But even for you to go to heaven, it's one thing. You have to receive Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. That's what takes you to heaven. But what brings glory to God our Father is good works. And the good works have to be in Christ. So, for example, you are not a Christian. You give to charity. You help somebody. A house is burning. You go and rescue the person. That is good work. But it doesn't glorify our Father. Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 says that we are unfit to worship you. Each of our good deeds is merely a filthy rag. So any good thing, any good deed you do outside of Christ is a filthy rag. And I don't know how many of you do witnessing, but Pastor Jessica and I, it's, I would say that this has probably been one of the prominent excuses, barriers that you face when you witness to people. Anytime we are speaking to people and you say they should accept Christ as their Lord and personal Savior, what they interpret it is that the gospel is for bad people and I am not bad. I do good. I help my mother. It's a good thing to help your mother. One day someone told me, I've never had a parking ticket before. I do good. But how many of you know that in the eyes of the Lord, a parking ticket, whether you violated parking tickets or not, that is not what is going to take you to heaven. It's a good deed. It's a very good deed. What is going to take you to heaven is receiving Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. And now, if you have never violated parking tickets before, it is a good deed in Christ. So everything that we have to do that qualifies as good has to be in Christ. That's what will glorify our Father. But if you've not received Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, any good work that you do outside Christ is a filthy rag. So it's very important for us to qualify the good deed. So even our motto, when we say, come with us and we shall do you good, even the good that we are supposed to do, that we believe and that we profess every Sunday, it has to be in Christ. Otherwise, if it's not in Christ, it's a filthy rag. Amen. Please go with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10. So Christ wants us to be the light of the world. And how do we become the light of the world? Our good works. People will see our good works and they will bring glory to God our Father. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 to 10. I'm reading this in NIV. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. 
it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So we've been saved by grace. Staff works. Can't boast about it. You see, we, we became Christians because the Lord called us. He elected us. He drew us to himself. We just did the John series and we saw it in John 15. No one can come to the Father unless God draws him. We have been saved by grace through faith. The doctrine of election comes into play here when it comes to our salvation. It's not of works that no one should boast. Then it explains to us, we are God's handiwork. We are God's best piece of art. This handiwork here has to do with an artist who paints his best work and puts it on display or for auction. His best work. A Da Vinci paints, a Basquiat paints, his best work and puts it on art. We are God's best work. We are God's masterpiece. God has put us on display. You know, of everything that God has done, do you know what is his best work? Not the oceans, not the seas, not the mountains. We all marvel at these things. We see the mountains, we wonder. We see the seas, we wonder. These, these are not, this is not God's best and perfect work. God's best perfect work is sitting right in front of you. It's you. I'm looking at you. You are God's best work. He said, we are God's handiwork. We are his best work, his best art. God's best expression of art is us human beings. We are his best work. And we have been created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. And that's why Jesus gave this parable. As Christians, what will make our confession potent and what will make us draw men to the saving knowledge of Christ is to do good works. And when we talk about good works, good works is when we are in Christ. We have to get that right. So you can't do good works expecting to score brownie points with God when you are not saved. It doesn't glorify God. It's a filthy rag. But when we come in Christ, The work qualifies to be called good works. Do we understand? Now, the next important thing here that we have to look at is light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And one of Jesus' titles was, he is the light of the world. So go with me to John chapter 1. Verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, that's Christ. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. So that was Christ. Christ didn't start from the womb of Mary. Christ has existed in eternity past. The Bible lets us know he created the world. Without him, nothing was made. In him was life. 
abundant life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness. That's Christ. And the darkness comprehended the knots. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light. Of the light. That's Christ. That all through him might believe. John was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. So you see, so right here, Jesus is called the word. He's also known as life that we read in John, and he's known as light. And the Bible lets us know, especially in verse 9, that he is the true light. I don't know what version of Bible you use, but the version of Bible I use, New King James, the light starts with capital L. He is the light. Okay? And he gives light to every man coming into the world. That's Jesus. Now, look at John 8. So now, this is John's testimony. What does Jesus say about that? John chapter 8. Now, the background of John chapter 8 was about the woman who was caught in the very act. You know, she was, you know, disgraced. And Jesus forgave her sin. Maybe she had a scandalous past or whatever. Jesus forgave her sin. But on what authority did Jesus do what he did? Jesus said, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then look at verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. You see? So Jesus is the light of the world. So how do we become the light of the world? We become the light of the world because we are in Christ. So Jesus is the light of the world. And the reason why we have also become the light of the world is because we are in Christ. So we are operating under Christ's light. We are the light of the world. And we became the light of the world because we are in Christ. Now the Bible lets us know that our light doesn't have to be obscure. Our light has to be bright. And that goes back to emphasize on good works. When we call ourselves Christians, our good works doesn't have to be obscure. Because when our good works are obscure, it will not have influence like the light has influence. If you have a lamp and you put a basket or you put it under a bowl, you obscure the brightness of the lights. You obscure the purpose of the lights. So right here too, we, we see boldness in place. We have to be bold to live out our calling as Christians and do good works. Because the Bible lets us know that good works is a conduit through which people will give glory to God our Father. The reason why we are supposed to do good works is not because we do it to feel good. It's not to stroke our ego. There is a purpose why God has created us to do good works. He has created us to do good works so that the good works will bring glory to our Father in heaven. And how will it bring glory to our Father in heaven? It will bring glory to our Father in heaven by drawing men to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus spoke about the lamp and the air basket. 
So if you are a Christian, live out your calling boldly by doing good works. Now, what are some of the good works? Love. Mercy. So John 13, let's look at love. John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. You have to know who Jesus was speaking to. He was speaking to Jewish people. Jewish people treated love very exclusive. To them, love was not an inclusive thing. A Jewish man believes I have to love my Jewish brother, love my Jewish sister. Why? Because we are from the same commonwealth of Israel and we are of the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, period. That's all. So love to a Jewish is exclusive. It wasn't an inclusive. So when Jesus says, love one another, he is causing a seismic shift in their mind. He's trying to change how they understand love. Jesus said that, look, just to love your neighbor and to hate your enemy, that's easy. Even the publicans and the sinners do that. It doesn't draw a distinction. It doesn't draw a distinction. Love one another. And the one another here includes people who are Gentiles, people who are not Jews. They also deserve to be loved. And Jesus says, by this, all will know that you are my disciples because you have love for one another. That is good works. Love. And that is what Jesus came to demonstrate. That's why in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, Peter, after Jesus had gone to heaven, one of the things he told Cornelius about Jesus was how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. See, it, it, it wasn't just about the power aspects. Miracles are happening. Healings are happening. Deliverances are taking place. He's able to come back from the dead. But the next thing, doing good, doing good, doing good, doing good. That ministered to Peter. And that's why Peter gave that testimony. Acts 10 verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. The next thing after that is doing good. That even mattered more to Peter than healing. He didn't say how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, healing all. Mind you, he said doing good. That is what ministered to Peter. How did Peter know that Jesus was anointed? Doing good. That's how he knew. It was the doing good that drew Peter near to Jesus before he even saw the healing. So Christian brother, Christian sister, let's live our faith boldly by doing good. Don't let your good works be obscure. Because if it's obscure, it is just like a lamp that has a basket on it. I pray in the name of Jesus that may we be bold 
to live our confession. Another way of doing good is holiness. That is a good work. By this, all men will see your good works and will give glory to our Father. It's not about you. Good works is not about you. Good works is not about stroking your ego. It's not about you. Good works is not to make you feel good like, oh, I'm a Christian. It's not about you. The purpose of good works is so that men will see. They will give glory to God. Our good works is supposed to be a conduit through which people come to the saving knowledge of Christ. So how do we witness to people? We witness to people by preaching the word of God because the Bible says, how will one believe until he has heard the gospel? Secondly, we witness to people by good works. Love especially. Jesus says that by this, people will know you are my disciple. In a world where a two for a two first practice in a world where vengeance is the theme of the day, if we really want to prove to people that we are disciples of Christ, we have to love. That's a good work. Another good work is holiness. Living pure for God. That is a good work. And the Bible says that when men see this, They, it's, it, they see our good works and they glorify our Father. And when men glorify our Father, our works has also glorified our Father. So good works is supposed to point glory to God our Father. That's why an unbeliever, no matter what good work he does, it doesn't glorify because it's not going to point somebody to salvation. It will not. If an unbeliever who is not saved gives a billion dollars, he's going to feel good about it. It's not going to point the person to Christ and it's not going to glorify our Father. That's why I'm saying that good works have to be qualified. That's why we have to be Christians. We have to be in Christ to do good works. Because when we do good works, it's different. It doesn't stroke our ego. It doesn't make us feel good. But it rather brings glory to God our Father. Because men have seen our good works. And it will draw them into the faith. Light has influence. When light comes, darkness is dispelled. Our good works, just like light, also has power to dispel the kingdom of darkness. Ladies and gentlemen, never ever underestimate the power of good works. ICC, come with us and we shall do you good. Good works is a weapon, very powerful. We should never ever underestimate the power of good works. So today as a Christian, Learn how to live your faith boldly by doing good works. Don't let your light be covered. Don't let your lamp be under a basket because there is no influence. We have to live out our calling boldly and express ourselves in such a way that men will see our good works and bring glory to God our Father. And mind you, it's not about you. Take yourself out of the picture. When God lets you give somebody money and the person is happy, it's not about you. It's about the person seeing your good works to glorify the Father. So our good works should be a conduit 
through which people will know of God our Father. Let me give the last scripture. I just remember this scripture right now. 2 Corinthians. Paul talks about giving. He talks about a generous giver. One of the very famous scriptures I believe all of us know is God loves a cheerful giver. But look at what happens. When you give, God blesses you. And this is what God will do. He supplies seed to the sower, bread for food. Supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality. So when God gives, he gives so that you will be more of a giver. You are enriched in everything for all liberality. So when you give and when God blesses you, he blesses you so that you'll be able to give more. Amen. Which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of saints, but is also abounding through many thanksgivings to God. So when a believer gives and supplies the needs of sin. So in this context, Paul is talking about giving to Christians. You cause the believer who has been blessed by your generosity to give thanks to God. But it just doesn't end there. Also to men. When people see our good works, they will give glory to God our Father. It's not about us. It's about us making people give glory to our Father. It's about us being a conduit through which people will come to the saving knowledge of his grace. No wonder in Romans, the Bible says that the goodness of the Lord leads man to repentance. Who is that middle gap? We. We are the middle gap between the goodness of God and man come into repentance. People need to see our good works, and that's how they will come to repentance. Even Peter was a typical example. Christ did him good. And Peter remembered after three years, and told Cornelius, I met Jesus who was anointed with the Holy Ghost with power, doing good. He talked about that one first before he even talked about healing. Goodness is a powerful thing. The fruit of the spirits, when we become Christians, one of them is goodness. May the Lord help us to be good people. But you can't be good if the core of your being is not good. And the core of your being will be good when you are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Questions or contributions? I can't believe that sometimes an hour really goes that fast. Man, you can if you if you don't take care, I can teach till it is 11 p.m. I'm done. I gotta stop here. I gotta stop. Questions or contributions? Do you understand today's study? Okay, Pastor Jessica. Thank you. I just wanted to add something. I, you know, as you were teaching us and uh, talking about the light and the lampstand and doing good works and um, uh, getting rid of uh, things that are unholy and, and such. Um, I thought of Second Corinthians seven, uh, verse one, that says, "Therefore, having these promises, beloved." Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And I believe that when we do that, those are some of the good works. You know, when they see us acting differently and being differently out of this, out of knowing those promises and out of that righteousness of God, I think it really makes an impact. I think it comes with anointing because it's word. And I think this is, you know, you know, as you were speaking, this is the what was happening. And I just wanted to share it. Thank you so much. God bless you. Amen. 
Any question? Do we have any questions? If there are no questions, what did you learn tonight, please? I'd like to hear from you. Sometimes when I'm teaching, I'm wondering, do they understand? Do they get it? I, I want to know. Um, alleviate my suspicions. Nobody learns anything today. Just one person. It's it's time. We are, we are we are over time. One minute. One person to just tell me what they learned, and we close. Oh, I'm sorry. I have a question. I have a new phone, so I was finding it difficult to unmute myself. Oh, okay. Please ask. So my question is: if if the good we're doing is for people to bring, I mean to take glory to God. Why do we get so excited when we do those good? Amen. If the good we are doing is to bring glory to God, why do we get so excited? Very good question. Next week. Go we'll answer it. Amen. <laughs> oh, wow. You're going to have us holding on that yeah. long. Yeah. Felicia, we have to remember your question. Yeah. I've written it down. I'm okay. not going to forget. It's going to, okay. please, I'll tackle this question eight o'clock. So please, let's come early. Amen. I'll tackle this question with scriptures and everything. So let's come and get ready for that. I like the question. If the good we are doing is to bring glory to God, why do we get so excited? I love that. I love that. Felicia, that's a very good question. Amen. It's food for thoughts to think about it. Amen. I just want to know, what, what did somebody learn today? What did somebody learn today? I want to know. Did somebody learn anything? Yes. Okay. So I learned that in whatever that I do, especially the good that I do to others, it's not for me. I feel like I'm going to ask some more questions. It's not for me to go, but the purpose is for them to bring glory to God. Amen. Amen. All right. Okay. God bless you all. Thank you for attending Bible study. Please do remember, we'll be fasting and praying from the 1st to the 7th April. So we'll finish on the 7th. 7th is Good Friday. Amen. So we are praying and fasting. Please, I want you all to participate the prayer, as usual, we always give daily prayer topics and scriptures for meditation. Um, during this Easter time, we really want to take time to reflect and meditate on the essence and the importance of Christ's crucifixion, uh, burial, death, and resurrection. Amen. So we are just going to do that in, in the spirit of Easter and pray and uh, be believe God. Believe God to tap into the blessings of Easter. Amen. So I'm I'm believing God that it's really going to be a good time. So Saturday, we have two prayer sessions. We have our morning prayer because it's the first Saturday of the month we'll be praying. That's 1st April, 7 to 8. And then in the evening, we'll pray from 7 to 8. So every night we'll be meeting. So next week, Wednesday, we will not have Bible study. We will rather be praying. Okay. And then we'll finish Friday, Good Friday. And then Sunday is Easter Sunday. We'll have a good time. Amen. Uh, please invite people to come to church on Easter Sunday. Witness, do something. Pastor Jessica and I personally on Saturday will witness. We'll just go out to the streets and, and believe God to minister to people and pray for people and invite people to come to church. Amen. So 
also in your own small way, do something, invite people to come to church, pray, be bold, do good. Uh, you are a light, you are a lamp. Don't be under a basket, do good. Amen. God bless you. Father, we've heard your word that we are the light of the world. May our lamps not be obscure, but may, 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 we, may we be bold to exercise, to do what you have called us to do, that through our good works, men will see and they will give glory to our Father. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. I appreciate you giving me six minutes of your time. Thank you. See you on Saturday. Enjoy the rest of your week.